Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Entertainment of Excellence, the podcast where we talk about films, <laughs> TV, all of it. Hi, I'm Ollie. I'm Tom. And I'm Ben. And today we're talking about the 2019 film Polar. This will contain spoilers. Okay, um, I'm going to do this with what's in my mouth. We're not sponsored, unfortunately. But, so, Polar. The plot is... Okay, I think I got this. Um, If Mads Mikkelsen is a hitman, and he's wanting to retire on his 50th birthday, but the uh, company that owns him want to they basically like kill off all the hitmen before they retire so that they get to keep the retirement money um and he wants to not die and that's the plot <laughs> would you say yeah. that's the plot yeah pretty i much. think it's like it's a pretty decent concept i thought but i mean it is based on a graphic well a set of graphic novels i think so it's not as if you can really credit the film itself for the concept, but I probably thought it was like more intriguing than something like John Wick. Um, yeah, I like the like idea. The yeah, as a yeah. concept, yeah. it was like a lot better than just a, a dog dying and then him going on a rampage. Whereas this, in this film, uh, <laughs> he's the one that kills the dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is and a scene. There is a scene where he buys the dog, um, then has flashbacks to a thing he did and then shoots the dog and then he gets goldfish. The dog plays nothing into the story except a one-off line later on um, where I joked when he was talking to that. There's also like a lover just with his neighbour or something. It's kind of weird. When he's talking to Camille, um, I was joking like, is he going to say that he just shot a dog once and he does actually say, like, I used to have a dog? Like, yeah, for about two hours. <laughs> then you this... shot it and burned it on a bonfire along with, like, your book on how to care for dogs. I feel like page one of the book on uh, how to care for your new dog probably said, don't shoot it. I... The thing with this <sighs> film is... Um... There's, we just ended up, well, at least Tom and I did. I don't know about Ollie, but um, we just ended up predicting like so much of the plot. We've just been like, ha what if he mentioned the dog? Ha <laughs> what if the, what if Camille's parents were killed by him? Ha JK, unless. <laughs> yeah. And then it turns out that like all of our predictions just came true because. The movie's just great like that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel, yeah, there's... A, the plot was fairly predictable after that first bit, and... I don't I don't know what happened. The, it was just, like, the screenplay itself was really dodgy, like, a lot of the dialogue. 
Like I remember Camille saying that her brother's hair smelt of little boy. <laughs> I was like, right? <laughs> That's an interesting smell. And mm. then the <laughs> boss lady that isn't the boss said, like, the road that you're on has no rainbow. Uh, Which I guess is that makes is that a known sense, metaphor? Like I've never heard anyone say it before. Ollie, you're the English man. Unless it's an American <laughs> thing. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like. What did it mean? I've like I would have thought it'd be like no escape. But the road you're on has no rainbow. Um, all I could think of was like no rainbow road for Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. I feel like it, it, the yeah. metaphor should have been there's no pot of gold at the end of your rainbow or something. Which, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the the script definitely had a lot a lot of problems, but I, the main criticism I'd probably have would be the editing and like, oh, the, yeah, yeah, we the pacing was so inconsistent. Like, I kind of the start. It was really fast-paced, high-octane, but I kind of... It sort of... um, That was the style it was going for, but then after that, it starts to... Well, it has this weird juxtaposition between um, the stuff with Mads Mikkelsen himself. That bit's, like, really slow-paced when he's with his neighbour, but then it cuts to these people hunting him down. And that those scenes last about one minute and don't really seem to advance... Well, they yeah. seem to advance way too quickly, and it's not really bringing anything to the the um, plot itself. And then also, I I felt that well, I know when we did um, you were never really here. That sort of there was quite a few parts of this that reminded me a bit of that, and something that it dealt with quite effectively. And that was the protagonist was dealing with like this um, this past and. Uh, it was similar in this with like the flashback sequences, but I felt like sometimes they just lasted too long and they were like really quick shots of things. You couldn't really tell what they were properly. Yeah, yeah. and it was sort repeated. Of, yeah, and it sort of explained it near the end with the, the thing in the car, but I just feel like the editing fluctuated between being really fast and then sometimes the pacing just felt too slow especially yeah there was that and a lot of problems with editing was like cutting between different locations like really quickly oh Um, yeah and a lot of times it didn't matter like uh i remember it being like it was something like mads mickelson in his house and then it cuts to um camille or something like crying and then it just cuts back to mads mickelson it's like well we didn't need that (laughs) yeah because at that point we'd already found out like about her traumatic past and all the awful things she's dealt with so it's like yeah we get we get that now well except and that it didn't really didn't add find... anything and it, there's a lot of moments like that where it just cuts to something random for about 20 seconds then cuts away again and it can be disorientating because you go between loads of different locations and also it's just a lot of it wasn't necessary so you could have just cut out a load of the fluff yeah. yeah, and then also uh, that scene where he first arrived at the house. Uh, I remember you pointing out that there was like there were like loads of cuts, and all of them were different locations. So it was like a really disorientating sort of. Yeah, it made it made me feel dizzy. It was literally him getting out of the car and going into the house, but it felt like it was an action sequence or something. Well, no, it was more the fact that like it felt like it was. 
you know, it would go from one angle and then like the other side of him, and you could never like, and then it would cut to a different angle, uh, where it felt like there were five different cameramen standing around him, and they just cut between them at random. Yeah. So you had no idea where anything what was orientated, and uh, yeah, that that I made th- me feel dizzy. <laughs> I think the I mean, main sometimes problem sometimes that did work oh, in like the action sequences, but you don't need to have it all the time because yeah, exactly. Yeah. Disorienting, and it's hard to get a perspective of what's actually going on if you're constantly cutting. Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, the main problem cool. with the movie as a whole is like the, as you said, the sort of juxtaposition between like the, I'd say more comic book influenced sort of storyline, at least in the first half of like the people out to get him. Um, which is like, and it has these really vibrant, bright colours. It's sort of comedic, or at least it's meant to be. Um, yeah. And then just this really dry, um, sort of dull, I guess. Um, yeah. Shots of uh, Duncan settling into his new life. Like, it feels like two movies spliced together as one. Like, if if you're gonna go the comedy route, then Duncan is a really bad protagonist because he's just dry no he's not funny whatsoever he's got no he's not really got much character to be honest i felt like mads from when he fell to that table near the end (laughs) yeah i feels like mads Mads mickelson was just tired the whole film but (laughs) (laughs) or you could go the sort of more gritty dry route which it tried to sort of switch towards at the end at which point the whole um like assassin's trying to kill him storyline and the fact that matt lucas was the villain just really <laughs> undermines that like, i don't know why they picked matt lucas like he, i i love him but he can't he can't be I, a big bad villain i couldn't take him seriously i <laughs> i wouldn't i i understood i would have understood obviously if they were going for a more comedic uh yeah. side of it because well, it seemed like they were in that sense because they like why would they cast him if they were because yeah. they were trying to yeah. blend, as you were saying, like that weird comedy aspects with all like the really dark and gritty stuff, which I actually thought worked better. But it was so jarring when the next mm. shot would be all these vibrant colours and all this. Sort of, I felt like, like yeah, they're really oh, the saturated colours. They look so awful. They were so garish and worse hurt my eyes. But half. all those scenes as well felt like what everyone. It's like all the parts that people complain about Tarantino movies. Yeah, it's like yeah. I, I was me and Ben would say it's like a fourteen-year-old boy just watched a Tarantino film for the first time and then decided to direct his own movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's not even like they tried draw to draw comparisons a bit to. Um... 2003 Hulk with like the <laughs> comic book style. Oh, this what? Yeah, I was saying like if they if they do one more zoom and then swipe cut, I will. Yeah, <laughs> oh, the swipe cut the screen the, like overly loud, sort of dramatic special <laughs> effects. Yeah, they really the sound effects were like really over the top. Like, we one moment was when it's still supposed to be the dark and gritty bit. Like, some guy steps in a pool of blood and it goes properly like. <laughs> <laughs> really loud squelch. It's like, it, did you really need that? <laughs> and a lot of times, it it felt like it tried to be stylistic and didn't work. Like that bit where they're interrogating his accountant or something, um, and then at the end, like they shoot him to 
uh, to the like crescendo of the music, except I hadn't actually noticed the music was even there at first. So it's like they tried to get the payoff without any build up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like, ugh. ugh. <laughs> that just annoyed me. At the start of the film, uh, the very opening shots, um, they sort of introduced each character with this comic book style, like, uh, insert of their name, and uh, it was... Yeah, why did it do that? <laughs> I felt it, right, it, I don't know why it didn't work here, but, like, in another film it could have worked well. It's just there were so many people, and... It wasn't clear whether these were like the main characters or not, so whether you're yeah. actually meant to be. They weren't even that important, and names. you didn't really need to know their names. The only one I remember is yeah. Alexei. It works guy. better in something like I can't think of any movies that do it, but like the Borderlands series, if you run into a major character or a boss, it'll come up with that kind of title thing, and then have a like witty remark to do with them, so you kind of get the you get an idea of the character and a joke at the same time. But, but this then, was just, like, yeah. show their names in a really difficult-to-read font. But then, like, uh, at the same time, the only character they didn't do it for was, like, Camille, who was pretty integral yeah. to the plot. Like, you didn't know yeah. her name until, um, like, three It's mentioned once, wasn't through. it? Yeah, once. <laughs> Cause, yeah, because Ben was like, oh, that's her name, it's the first time it's been mentioned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was so stupid. Yeah, I feel like the, the comic book style way of introducing people could have worked if if they had sort of kept it up and been a bit more consistent and also i i just felt like the the whole subplot of the people focusing on the perspective of the people trying to track him down and kill him was really i wasn't engaged in that at all and it just felt really out of place with well as you were saying about like the tonal inconsistencies it it sort of just I don't know, it sort of just diminished the whole quality of the film, because if they'd have focused on just Mads Mikkelsen... Well, I'd, I'd said that would sort of improve it, but at the same time, it kind of felt like they were running out of plot with what they had anyway with him, despite the fact that it's based on... I'm not sure how many graphic novels, but it's it, there must be a decent bit of sort. I think it's only one. I feel like they <laughs> yeah. were trying to drag out a one-hour, 20-minute movie. And like, because yeah. the whole point was, um, he had like six residences or somewhere, and they were having to like try and find him at each one, and then they couldn't find him, so they had to go to like the address of his bank, which got into that like that um town up north, like. But you could have just shown maybe one, and then been like like, the final one, and just be like, he's not at any of his addresses, and then... Yeah. But then equally, that would have just, like, meant that the whole uh, plot of him settling into his new life is just boring and <laughs> drags on. Like... Yeah. I kind of like the stuff they did with him and Camille, and, like, the, the twist at the end, although it was quite predictable that... Quite. Um, <laughs> um, I I did kind of like that, but I feel like I don't know. They should have just chosen one way or another to what to focus on. Well, the problem with blend the... these two genres that don't really fit together very well. 
The problem with the twist at the end is there was no foreshadowing whatsoever, because you see a lot of like shots of Camille crying and um, like having symptoms of trauma, and uh, you have a shot where you have a scene where she's explaining to Duncan like about um, working in the library as a Santa Claus helper, and I think it's implied that he either beats her or rapes her or um, mixture of the both. So you kind of assume that that's her whole trauma throughout the whole film, and you know when he's trying to give her gun lessons, that's what she's, that's why she can't hold the gun. But at the very end, it's revealed just with no foreshadowing whatsoever, apart from like the same like twenty second uh, flashback from Duncan's perspective, like it shows that it, her family was killed and. He was the one who killed her family and left her uh, alive and paid for a school and everything. Like you'd have thought that that's a bit, not to diminish like sexual assault or whatever, but I feel like her whole family being murdered might have played somewhat into her character. Uh, well, I guess yeah. that's what it's supposed to be at the end. But it's more strange that the whole time, like she knew that he'd murdered her family, but was still like it's like. Doing the romance thing. I don't understand what the point was. It just like she seemed absolutely like, why fine was with she... him. Unless like the drugs oh. awakened a repressed memory or something. But at which point, but then she just immediately contradicts that with "You're all I think about." Yeah, yeah and like if she says, knew, if she knew yeah. about that, why did she organize for him to go into a primary school and like? We were saying that. What the hell was up with like him giving primary school kids a huge knife and showing them pictures of a dead body that had been left out for three weeks? Comedy. Comedy. They let them do that. Comedy. Oh, was it comedy? Was it supposed? Like I couldn't tell. Comedy. Because he was such a dark character who really yeah. didn't have that much dialogue. And I'm sure we'll come on to it, but I did really enjoy Mads Mikkelsen's performance in this role. And I think he did the best with what he could have in like, playing yeah. this sort of dark yeah. character. Who's obviously, he's obviously experienced trauma yes. and a sense of regret, but at the same time, he's that's just the way he is. But yeah, um, it, like, that primary school bit just distressed me. Yeah. <sighs> Can we talk about the torture scene? Because I feel like Ugh. that went on way too yeah. long. You mean and it the didn't force. cut away to anything else. And it was just like... <laughs> it well, just I mean, ended. It was like, the same thing tomorrow, let's go. Well, I mean, it did <laughs> cut away to, like, Camille on drugs. But the same shot every time. It was just like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about two seconds. The fun continues and tomorrow. It, it's, the, it's the same <laughs> problem as them going to, like, every location to see if he's there. And then he's not there. So, yeah, we, yeah. Get, we get the picture. Okay, day one. And it, and it has it like it's going to be important, like what each of the days are or something. But it's just like day one, you pinch the skin off. Uh, the fun continues tomorrow, Mr. Surname. <laughs> uh, drug, the, the heroin injection scene. Day two, uh, pinch some skin off. The fun continues tomorrow, Mr. Surname. Drug scene. Day three, pinch skin off. It's like, oh, oh, oh. I'm so bored. This torture scene has got me bored. That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> it's supposed to be awful and gross. Why am I bored? Uh, and that that was like that was also one of the things where it did still go like really overboard with violence and stuff. And it's like 
come on, even Tarantino, like Reservoir Dogs, you know, he pans away from slicing off the guy's oh, yeah, ear. That was really uncomfortable. A lot of times in this, it was like just really awful. Like I get the use of violence in action scenes where you know, uh, the most often what I think of is when. Like, usually once per action film, they'll break someone's arm or something, and you go like, oh! But it, it's still kind of, even though it's gross, it's still kind of cool. But in this, I, mean, I just felt disgusted between, like, breaking by, like, yeah. every action scene. And, like, pinching skin off and blowing brains out every two seconds. And, like, because if you're breaking someone's arm, you're going to wince, but it's not gory. Like, yeah. And also, like, there's obviously a place for gore in films, but this is just... So there's yeah. just so much it doesn't serve the plot. It just felt like and not even the style. It's boy. just like it's like are you just making me want to throw up? Yeah, because you can that. do it in a cool way. Like if you think of the this was doing like the really over the top CGI blood stuff, and they do that in John Wick. But you know, in that it's like quite slick and um, it just seems to work better. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of what it is that changes it. Yeah. And um, but I definitely felt that way with the torture scene. But at the same time, there were a couple of action sequences in this that I quite enjoyed. Like the the one where um they're trying to when he's in his house and they've got the sniper on him and then he sort of sneaks up on all of them. Yeah, that that one's all right. And the one in the corridor with yeah, the yeah, where right. they actually do an interesting thing with an act. Those two are good because they do interesting things with the action scene. So the first one is with him with a sniper. It's got infrared vision so they use flares to cover that up yeah. but then he sees someone's like breath behind a fridge so that's an interesting way to solve a problem which is what you want in action scenes and then the tunnel you know he chucks a f- uh, fire extinguisher and shoots it to kind of obscure vision and what it is now that makes action scenes cool is uh like creative set pieces or you know but they don't even have to be big just interesting ideas where you go like oh that's a cool thing that an experienced hitman would do. Yeah. Um, but then at so, the same time, you've got the yeah, that was all right. The scene where he's um, where he's got like all those guns that he controls with those gloves on his hand, and when he goes and buys all that equipment, I felt like that sequence was really rushed. So it didn't really yeah, it wasn't really that much of a payoff because they didn't really build up towards it that much. Yeah, that that scene was just like oh cool. He needs yeah. Some excuse to just win. Uh, okay. You know, it's not with like cool skill, like like oh, he maybe he knew that they. Well, I mean, he did know that they track they track him, but and do a kind of cool, almost Batman scene. No, it's just get them there in front of a million turrets and just go. <laughs> yeah. Also, this is quite minor, and it's probably because he's this character sort of iconic for it but the fact that during the torch scene um i don't know if the fact that he lost an eye was meant to be some sort of surprise because on the poster he's literally got an eye patch yeah waiting the whole time for that to happen and it happens in the last probably the last half an hour or something and it kind of you know like in uh when thor ragnarok came out and they changed all the trailers and stuff for that so it made it look like he had an eye but then he actually doesn't have an eye in that point in the film. I guess that's a spoiler for Thor Ragnarok, but um, <laughs> it, it just felt like I was waiting for that to happen the whole time, so it didn't really, it wasn't really that suspenseful. Yeah, it, it yeah, it, that was like cool. Yeah, 
I was like, oh, he's he's lost the eye now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that wow, was the only interesting cool. thing that happened in the torture scene. I guess. Oh, and a bit of knife breaking off. <laughs> it's just, you know, I kind of like... And also, with it looked like it was going to have neon colours and stuff on the posters, you know. And uh, I really like Drive, which is a stylistic action film with neon and also it's very violent. But that's done well <laughs> um and yeah i don't know this film it just felt like a poor attempt at trying to do that kind of like drive and also tarantino style uh so it, it's just one of those films where i was like i could like this but if it was better it's not good <laughs> yeah I yeah i hate it i didn't yeah, hate it, it. it wasn't I was, like a waste ollie, ollie asked me hours. what i thought and i and i said and I stand by that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like a, a good, waste uh... of two hours, but uh, it just wasn't objectively very good. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to sit through it, though, Ben, if you told me to not talk over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely talking over it did help a lot. Because <laughs> mm. if I had to sit there and seethe in silence at, um, <laughs> at the things that were annoying me, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. <laughs> uh, should we talk about the performances then? All we've really done is gone like Mads Mikkelsen, good. Matt Lucas, bad casting choice. <laughs> but yeah. All right, so Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, it was a good performance. Uh, I to be did... fair, he didn't have to do that much. Because yeah, I the... felt like he was really tired the whole film, but I thought that was probably <laughs> just like the character... She yeah, didn't have much to you know, work with. Me and Ollie have seen The Hunt, so we know that he can actually show quite a range of complex emotions, but also not like move his face too much. But I think here yeah. they didn't give him too much direction. But he did. He wasn't like um, you know, Bruce Willis in films from the last ten years. That <laughs> might that might be a bit obscure, but you know, he doesn't just look like he's early to it for the paycheck. Like he is. Crying. <laughs> yeah, I think he's able to convey quite a lot of emotions without that much dialogue, which um, yeah, is kind of like an essential part if you're going for a role like this. But I think he worked well with what he had. Yeah. Um. About Vanessa Hudgens as Camille. Um, I just kind of feel like that character. Didn't really, it wasn't really explored in the amount of depth I'd have liked it to be because yeah. she was quite integral to the plot, but at the same time, he didn't really get to know that much about her just because I don't know if it was just me, but it's probably just the fact that I, I just think that the pacing sort of um, played into that and the fact that when, when uh, he's kidnapped and tortured. It feels like he's really motivated by her, but at the same time, you don't really understand why. And looking at it from her perspective, you don't really understand why she's trying to build up that relationship, unless it's sort of she's being vindictive. But it, it doesn't. It, it's kind of weird the way that uh, it's definitely not anything to do with the actor. But I just wasn't a massive fan of how they handled that character. Yeah, again, it's like the actress did the best with what she could, but. 
she was not given very much. I found towards towards the end, like the final scene, like it was annoying that it hadn't been foreshadowed, really. But um, she did a good job with like expressing like uh, the complex emotions with like dealing with her, the person who traumatized her, um, and like the way she like broke down with the gun earlier in the film. I quite liked that. It's mainly the writer's fault that kind of left that character um, undeveloped. It was a bit annoying. Uh, yeah, and then as for the as for the people that are tracking him down, I think they all sort of felt like caricatures and um, grouped them all together. Yeah, they were ca- they were caricatures, except I couldn't even tell what they were, what caricatures they were. <laughs> 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 I mean, like they they were acted over the top and everything, but you don't really get to see what each of them are supposed to be. Like, I, I know one of them was the drug addict, and that's it. <laughs> one of them was like on the toilet and like the dry humor one, I think. But like, maybe I don't know. Cindy but... was a bit promiscuous. Yeah, but I'm were... just thinking back to that, like the scene where Cindy is supposed to like bait. Um, oh, the pervert. Duncan into, uh, oh wait, yeah, you know, getting shot, and like that sex scene goes on for so long, and it's like, like there's literally you don't need it to go on this long. It's it felt like it was just doing it to be gratuitous, and you're like, I, d- I don't need this. It's like the torture scene again. It's like, just come on, move on. I'm it's getting bored. The torture scene. <laughs> yeah. And then the setup for that, where like he's driving on the road and she's just like, "Do I look like a mechanic to you?" It's like <laughs> it was just a bad porn plot line. It's <laughs> well, I guess it was supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, but like, but I don't understand why he like. It's never explained why he does uh, pick her up and because woman about, like helping her out. But no, but. Cause he... I, I, it just confuses me. Like, was he supposed? To, was he waiting for them to come and kill him, so that he could? Get... I don't know. It just this film just annoys me. I'm annoyed. Yeah. I've changed my feeling. My new feeling, Ollie, is I'm annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, it's just like they're he's really dark, and then they're really sort of embracing this flamboyant style that is which they kind of do with a lot of the action and stuff. Um, but it just seems like those two characters are the polar opposites. Maybe that's what oh! It's the title of the film. That's why it's funny. Holly! Whoa. You got it. Why is it called Polar? Was the company called Polar? Because I saw a P. No, it wasn't. It was called uh, Damascus. Oh, sorry, oh. Damocles. So... Um, Whatever. Speaking of flamboyance, let's talk about Matt Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they pick him? I don't. I don't think it's his fault that he was in this movie. Yeah, and like you get Matt Lucas, what do you expect? And, and also, like the f- they didn't even try to make him a serious villain. Like, okay, it would have been another thing if they picked Matt Lucas and they tried to make him like serious. Which you'd still be criticising because, like, why would you put Matt Lucas for that? But he was obviously instructed to be like flamboyant, a bit camp, and like 
more of a children's cartoon villain than anything else. Like, I don't know, like, the, the way he ran and, like, <laughs> and then that amazing <laughs> scene where, like, um, it just cuts to outside of his house and then a CGI <laughs> Lucas head, severed head, just <laughs> flies out the window and lands in front of the camera. But I, I saw him in the cast list when I started watching. I was like, surely he's going to be some sort of minor role, like a, a bit of a cameo, but he's <laughs> the main villain. Like, yeah. what? Why? Yeah, like, I, I, when I didn't look at the cast beforehand, Ollie just sent to our group chat and was like, Matt Lucas is in it. I figured it'd just be like a minor character because even in like a gritty film, like maybe you could get away with like a more comedic minor role from someone like Matt Lucas, but... <laughs> yeah, when villain. it when it started to have like the hidden villain thing, I was like, "Oh, is this going to be Matt Lucas joke?" And it was Matt Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was amazing! I love that. <laughs> <sighs> and then I'll rage quietly. Go on. Okay, and then one last criticism I have of like the characters, I guess, given we've kind of moved on from the actors a little bit. Like, there's two characters especially where they just appear kind of for the plot's convenience, and they obviously have history with Duncan, but you don't know what. So the first one's this old man, which you kind of assume was his mentor, but it turns out that he like betrayed him and something. But it's just oh yeah, it takes you a while to like Who figure that? out that that, that must have been his mentor. Part. Yeah. Or maybe his father? I don't know. What was no, it? No, it wasn't his dad. It was just some other hitman, right? Because he said that they tried to kill him as well, but then he got out, but then he's still working for them. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then there was, like, the was random the... woman that that patches up uh, Mads Mickelson, and Ben's like, who is this random woman? Is she going to turn out to be his ex or something? And, and, I think <laughs> it's hinted... and then it turned out that she was his ex. <laughs> turns up on a doorstep, takes a load of guns, uh, crashes her table, uh, and then never talks to her again. (laughs) He does properly fall face first into the table. (laughs) Best scene of the film. It was so funny. (laughs) It's just, I I don't know how you could have done this, like, this is one of those criticisms where I don't really know how you could have done that scene better. But, like, I just can't help but feel that the way that she just turned up and you have to put the pieces together that she was his ex was just annoying. It's like, who is this person? Why is he on her doorstep? Why is she so much younger than him? Should we talk about the music, maybe? Yeah. So, um, that was actually the reason I found out about this film, because the music was by Dead Mouse. Um I quite liked it. It wasn't like I don't think it was like amazing music for like the film. But like also another Yeah, there's like... one with the action scenes where it was like properly thumping, I was like, ooh yeah, that's yeah. cool. But there was also a, a like a quieter scene where I was like the music doesn't really fit. So uh it was hit or miss for me basically. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it it had that the the ending, which was like more of a quieter scene, but I think that worked quite well. 
Yeah, I like the finale music. The yeah. ones no, it like... was it was earlier on. I was thinking of. Yeah. And I was like, mm. there weren't any like light motifs or anything really. Um, it was just kind of like I think just composed for like the thing. But like, why would what? Like, I remember reading that like Dead Mouse was like. Uh, really wanted to go into like film scoring, like uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross from Nine Inch Nails, and like, why is this the first film that he did a soundtrack to? Like, maybe he didn't realize it was going to be this bad. <laughs> like, wow, an action <laughs> film with Mads Mikkelsen, sure. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Just like somebody just watched John Wick and they're like, wait, we could do that. And I've also watched the Tarantino film, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then we and watched Breaking it. Bad, but we didn't like it. So we're just going to use it. Oh, oh yeah, because there was that one shot with the two of them like separated by the wall. <laughs> that was the only thing they took from Breaking Bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think it deserves. Like if you look at some of the critic reviews, people are giving it like a zero, saying it's not tolerable at all. Um, yeah, I think it's somewhere between the user score and the critic reviews, basically. Yeah. I think the user score on IMDb, which is six point three, I think that's a little high, but I yeah, don't... I think that's definitely too high. Like the the top user review is a great film, especially the scenes without Matt Lucas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said that. I thought that, was, that was pretty funny. 10 out of 10. Like, oh, no, this is interesting. Uh, the runtime is 118 minutes, but for the mainland China censored version, oh, 97 I yeah, minutes. I saw that. I'd prefer to watch that. Cause... Like, what? Is that <laughs> just no violence, facing. no sex? Oh, wait, no. You wouldn't have a movie. <laughs> yeah. For the torture scene. Please. I feel like I could just do a cut of this film with the stuff that's available and, like, just by cutting out, like, three of the torture scenes, um, most of that, like, sex scene, uh, like, all of the shots that just don't add anything, you can just bring <laughs> it down to, like, an hour yeah. and 20 minutes and, like, you know, you wouldn't fix any of the writing problems, but you'd make it a bit better. Yeah. Have we gone on about this long enough? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> yes. Cool. <laughs> rating time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we did a... Uh, this is like back-to-back -back weeks of sort of bad films, because uh, last week we obviously had... We can be heroes and shout out to everyone that's watching that on YouTube. It's already yeah. on like over 150 views. Most of our uh, videos recently have just been like between about like seven and 30 <laughs> views, which is kind of normal for us. But that one just completely exploded and it's plateauing now. But damn, we even got a dislike. I'm so thankful for that. Thank you very much from the bottom <laughs> of my heart to the person who disliked it. Yeah. Helping us with the algorithm. <laughs> Cool. So you can go and follow along on our Hall of Fame section, which is a link to every rating in order, which has not been updated for a while. But uh, okay, start off with 
instant film this draws parallels to Mile 22, starring Aiko Uwes, with does Indonesian Panjaksa. He's going to be in a film with Mark Wahlberg called Mile 22. Yeah, <laughs> I I think it's worse. Can I give Mile 22 I'm... 4.3? I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna give this. Because objectively it's worse because at least Mile Twenty Two was like okay writing you know, the cuts were too much with the directing but and the editing, but at least this you could like laugh at it. I don't know. I mean the one directly beneath it is robot monster. Uh <laughs> Which still links to the social network. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I gave Mile 22 a 4.3. I'll give this a 4.1. No, 4.0 because I'm nice and I enjoyed Robot Monster sm like slightly more. Yeah. Yeah, 4.0. I'm sticking. See, I probably preferred this to Mile 22. But, um... I, I think that's probably just because I can barely remember Mile 22 at all. Yeah. <laughs> so it hasn't left the, mass, the biggest impression on me. Um, so, but looking at my review of Mile 22, I gave it a 4.7, so this might be quite a big difference if oh. I'm judging it on that. Oh. So I, I guess I'll have to give it Four point eight. Oh, well. Uh, I definitely thought it was worse than Mile Twenty Two, and to be honest, like, I'm thinking of putting it on the same level as Left Behind because. Oh. <laughs> I that I would rather watch Left Behind again than watch Ooh. this again. <laughs> but. I think this was a bit better made. I, I'm going to give it oh! a three, which is what I gave Left Behind. Is that that's probably our biggest spread ever? But yeah, I'm giving yeah. it a three. You're I wasn't sure, three. but then Ollie gave it a four point eight, and I was like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three. We're averaging on three point nine. Damn. Damn. Finally filling up that lower. Section bringing our median average, my median rating down <laughs> from like 7.5 just off the top of my head. I think it's that. <laughs> um, well, it's time for submission spotlight, and as always, we don't have anything. So, if for any chance there's anyone out here listening, send in your work now, short film, write uh, like a story, a novel. Music. I feel like we could maybe do art or something, although it might not be the best because we're an audio podcast. You know, do send them in because they'll be better than Polar and Mile Twenty Two. <laughs> um, but probably not Left Behind. Left Behind is a masterpiece. But yeah, you can contact us on our website, which is entertainmentofexcellence.weebly.com, or follow us on social media. Twitter and Instagram is at ERV Podcast. Um, yeah, you can direct messages. 
leave a comment you know we'd love to hear from you come please we don't want to keep saying the same thing every episode <laughs> and with that yeah. <laughs> i believe it is time for recommendations <gasps> oh. uh, i've got a more silly um still violent action film as a substitute Ooh. to uh, to this so i watched blade which is about the uh, part vampire vampire hunter uh, with Wesley Snipes uh, and I think the action's just like cooler it's, it's more creative because it's like new ways of killing vampires you get to have like exploding vampire blood and <laughs> uh, shotguns that shoot out like silver stakes and stuff uh, and a sword that is coated in something that vampires don't like. I can't remember. But, yeah, that's, like, way more fun than this. Uh, so go watch Blade instead. And that's also a comic book movie. Damn. So there you go. Well. <laughs> nice. I have a recommendation this week. <gasps> I know, it's groundbreaking. Okay, so it is the film Gerald's Game, um, which is based on the Stephen King novel of the same name. Uh, it was groovy. I liked it. Um, it's written. It's uh, directed by the same guy who did uh, Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor, uh, Mike Mike Flanagan. Mm. Uh, it was twenty seventeen, so it was year before Hill House, and annoyingly it still has some of the same cast as, like, the other two. Yeah, I've just noticed it's the same cast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got, um, Henry Thomas as the dad and, uh, the E.T. kid Carlo again. Gugino. Apparently he's in a fourth one of his works, and I'm like, ugh. It also has Theo <laughs> and, um, uh, the mother from Hill House as well. Uh, in one of the flashback scenes, I think one of the kids might have been Nell, but don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, so not much like so the 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 premise is pretty simple. Like, um, the, a couple uh, engaging in uh, some activities, um, and it goes wrong, and basically it's the psychological breakdown of the main character um as she struggles to like escape um and sort of like flashes back to some of her traumas and how that influences and it's got um it's, uh, about whether it's paranormal or whether things are actually happening um you know it's not like the greatest a horror movie I've ever seen, but um, it was good. It was atmospheric. Um, I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of it. I was like, oh, come on, you need to get out there. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, some cool cinematography, um, especially with like the an eclipse that plays a major role throughout the film. Um, and yeah, Go and watch it. 
it is on Netflix. Yeah, because I remember seeing about the film because I knew about the book and I knew the premise was like, uh, you know, the woman, husband falling and dying, so she gets like trapped and handcuffed to the bed. But I thought it was all like stuff in her head and about her going in. So I didn't know if it would work as a film. Yeah. So maybe I, I should check it out. I mean, uh, some people. It sounds like kind the... of similar to Misery in that, like, yeah. being debilitated and trapped in a room. I guess Stephen King loves that. The thing is, right, the, all of the reviews on IMDb are like, the pacing's too slow. Uh, it was boring, but I don't know if it was just me, but I I found it was, like, good, if not, like, maybe on the faster side of anything. So, I don't know, you might have a different opinion to it from, than me, so uh, go watch it and send in your uh, your comments now, right now. Because Stephen King is he's good at like psychological stuff that sometimes maybe doesn't translate too well in terms of a film. But um, yeah, I've I've read a bit of the book, but I just sort of stopped for whatever reason. Um, but I'd be quite interested to check out the film. I haven't read the book, so um, I need to go read him now. Well, uh, we've got a full house of recommendations today. Ooh. Wow. Crazy. Blue Moon. Um, so my recommendation is, it's called Truth Seekers. Um, and it's <gasps> like a, it's an Amazon Prime original show. Um, well, it's made by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, but Simon, I think Simon Pegg had quite a big hand in writing it, but he, he's barely in it at all. He sort of makes a cameo appearance most episodes. Um, it's also got the the guy that plays Alex from A Clockwork Orange as the dad, which was a bit of a surprise for me. But um, oh it's, yeah, Malcolm it's McDowell. basically it's basic. Well, it's quite hard to describe what it's about because it's about these um, well, the two main characters. Uh, a sort of like they provide broadband, but they have this YouTube channel where they go and investigate paranormal activity. Um, and it does, it's very episodic in the way that it's structured. I think it's eight episodes, and all of them, well, the most of them deal with sort of separate things. That, but as the story develops, and in the last two episodes or so, everything kind of comes back together and a lot of the stuff that's been foreshadowed earlier actually is quite relevant um like in terms of the end of the show and the story as a whole and uh i definitely think it's it's not as good as some of the other stuff i've seen like the cornetto trilogy and things um but that's kind of expected and i think it's quite it does a good job of combining the horror aspects of uh which um you know they kind of subvert a lot of uh the horror by kind of having more of dark comedy so it's quite it's not necessarily scary but it does quite a good job of combining the bits of horror it does have with uh sort of more of a light-hearted tone so it's quite easy to watch as well and um but it, it does have quite a few dark undertones and i think it's it's definitely not perfect but well, it's better than Polar, so what more do you want? <laughs> I think being better than Polar is the bare minimum. 
Damn. Oh, so we're finishing early? Damn. Uh, has anyone else got Ooh. anything to say? I mean, we usually say what we're doing next week, but I don't think we've actually decided, so maybe we could decide <laughs> on air. Oh, <gasps> peek into the process. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess we could do It's a Sin while it's still relevant, maybe. It would also be another TV show. Yeah, maybe. Uh, have you already seen maybe. it, Tom? I have. So, I'd be a few weeks unfresh, but uh, sure, I could probably scrape by. <laughs> I mean, I was about a week out um, when we were doing Hill House. So, I mean, we all were actually, weren't we? We missed a week. But, um, have we actually got a like. Yeah. Oh yeah, here we go, future apps. <laughs> this is professional. Wow, it's just following and it's a sin. <laughs> well, maybe we need some um some fan suggestions if you've got any. Type in chat that one viewer that please don't be Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to join. So <laughs> we're doing it's a sin then. Yeah, I guess so. It would be a sin. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, um cool. We'll um wrap it up. You can follow us on social media of course, as we said earlier. Uh sign up mm -hmm. for our mailing list for access to the schedule that we have not updated as you just know. Um <laughs> Just heard. Uh, groovy. Thanks for groovy. listening. Let's hope this episode does as well as um, we can be heroes. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, we'll, it's a sin won't be bad, so we won't have a trilogy of bad stuff. It's not bad. I've seen it. I can tell you now. Damn, that is good. And from the future. Oh yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, thanks for listening. All right, see ya. All right, All right see, see ya. ya.